Welcome to Awakenings Movement Podcast. Awakenings Movement is a community where dreamers become believers and believers become doers. question before we really get into it this sentence you were accepted before the formation of the earth did you find it easy to say to somebody else but is that a little harder to believe for for yourself isn't that kind of hard to swallow hard to really grasp do we walk every day like we were accepted before the formations of the earth do we operate um, 100% of the time, like we were accepted before the earth was formed, before time. So today my intention is to give us some talking points to deepen our conversation with our creator so that we can fully begin to grasp the depth and the 100%-ness of our acceptance. Because if we can't grasp that, then everything that comes out of our mouths and every decision that we make will be informed and even skewed by how unaccepted we feel. Um, so today, uh, I really want us to walk away with some questions for God, but also some beliefs that we can rearticulate to ourselves in our time of prayer with God so that we can fully understand our acceptance. All right, so turn to John chapter eight. This story is hard. This story is hard for, for some people to um, accept. <laughs> this story is, is difficult. John chapter eight. We're starting at verse three with the passages like one through 11. Um, this is the story of the Pharisees bringing the adulterous woman to, to Jesus. And Jesus is um, on the ground writing in the dirt. And, uh, they, and he's talking to a crowd of people as he's writing. Um, and so they bring this lady to him. And, and we start at verse 3. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down and again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd and with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So again, we are discussing this idea of acceptance. What better illustration of someone experiencing full acceptance than a woman who is being humiliated 
in front of people only for her to be completely pardoned and accepted in front of those same people, right? Um, so we'll walk through this story because um, I really want to explore like Jesus's character and his kind of ethos during this whole time um, to just to get a better understanding of like who we're dealing with when we enter into a relationship with Jesus. Like who are we really connecting with, you know? Like I think fundamentally, we kind of have learned and know that Jesus is like the savior of the world and he's loving and kind and he never sinned. But I really want us to deal with Jesus on the same one-on-one -on -one basis that this woman did, um, brought to him by accusers. So this book, The Boy Who Cried Abbott, this book is a fictional book. Um, but the more I read it, gosh, the more it rings so true for me. Has anybody actually started reading it yet? No? Oh, Robin. Oh, Robin. So. Robin is like on point. She's so good. Not that you all are bad because you haven't read it, but I'm just saying. Robin is like, man, she knows what side of the toast is buttered all the time. Um, Swan, Marley, guys, Swan's here from San Francisco. Hey, Miss Belinda. Hey, Marley. Look at that big old girl, Marley. Sorry, guys. I love Swan, I love Miss Belinda, Marley's our goddaughter, so I'm a little, I have a little lump. Um, so anyway, so, so I was talking about the, the main character of this book, Willie Wan, last week. Um, poor Willie Wan, I mean, he lived in this little Pueblo called Hopi, and um, he was, the, the author, Brendan Manning, is so interesting in how he describes Willie Wan because Hopi is this small town in Mexico. It's a Mexican village. However, Willie Wan's uh, grandfather is of African descent, and his grandmother is uh, of Native American and Spanish descent. So Willie Wan looks like a mixed kid. You know, He looks African, and he looks um, Native American. So his skin is this weird brown-orange color, and his hair is like you know, curly and strange, and everybody else is straight and hangs low. And um, he got into an accident when he was two years old, so he has this weird, like, stiff leg and really uh, scarred up skin. So Willie Wan is a kid, but he just, you know, he looks very different. Um, not only does he look different, but he was orphaned at a young age. Um, and so, anyway, this page right here, uh, they're, they're at a festival. And Willie Wan is, uh, he's there at the festival and uh, he sees some kids um, doing a tug of war contest and he goes in front of the kids and he's like, you know, and these kids, are, they, they've treated him bad all of his life, but he's like, maybe today, because it's a festival, you know, they'll be nice. You know, maybe today, because it's not a normal day, um, I can get in on some of the fun. And he goes and begs the kids to be a part of the tug of war. They say, yeah, go ahead, get in the front of the tug of war. And that's where we pick up on, um, on this page. And, um, and right when he got to the front, right as he's like in the tug of war, he's laughing, he's, he's um, enjoying the game, all the kids simultaneously decide to let go. And so Willie Wan is jerked forward and dragged through this slimy pool of mud. The kids laughed and laughed at their joke. And uh, the part that I've highlighted is the, the part where he goes, you know, they're just joking. The kids are just, they're just playing, you know? Um, and so he just decides to go and watch 
uh, the parade. Later on in the story, uh, if you go on to the next couple pages, there's a wheelbarrow race. And this time, he's like, I'm not going to try to get in with these kids. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm still hopeful that I'll have a good time, but, you know, I'm just going to watch. And the, uh, the, one of the last kids doesn't have a partner. So the padre, the, the father who's coordinating the race, tells Willy Wan to come over and, you know, join the race. And the little boy who's pushing the wheelbarrow doesn't like Willy Wan and throws him out of the wheelbarrow. So Willy Wan is like, I can't win, you know. So Willy Wan goes home and he's crying to his grandmother who he lives with. Um, and she says to him, my sweet Willy Wan, the way you are treated today is not a new thing. I'm on the second paragraph. Widows and orphans are always defenseless. People often think that because you have no parents, they can be mean to you because no one will step forward to protect you. And as much as I love you, I'm an old woman, I'm not enough. Um, and so this is kind of painting the picture of the kind of life that Willy Wan has. Let's just stop for a second. Have you ever been Willy Wan in a situation? Can we all agree that we've been Willy Wan at least one point? If you've never been Willy Wan, my hat is off to you. That, I'm so impressed with your life, you know? <laughs> If you've never been, you know, hurt or treated poorly or rejected or um, in any way discriminated against because of the way you look, man, what a great life you have. But most of us have been Willy One at one point or another. So every night his grandmother tells him about this great El Shaddai and his love for his people, especially the little children. Every night she tells him about this, um, this healer named El Shaddai how much this healer loves him and how much this healer treasures him and what a great friend this healer is. And every night, Willy Wan is like, I am not trying to hear that. These kids are mean, these adults are mean. Um, the town um, that he lives in is every um, year gets more and more stricken with poverty. Willy Wan is like, this is not changing. This situation is not changing. This situation is not getting better. And um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sad. So the, 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 the book, the, the kind of subtitle of the book is that it's a parable of trust and acceptance. And so what I wanted to do is kind of understand really what acceptance is. I'm a very definition-driven um, learner. I like to have everybody on the same page because we all create our own definitions and our own pronunciations, and it's not always effective for communication. Um, so this is the, like the, the, the Merriam-Webster dictionaries. Um, Definition of acceptance. The first definition is the act of consenting to receive or undertake something offered. So, everybody clear on that? The action of consenting to receive or undertake something offered, which means you say, yes, I'll receive what you're, being, what you're offering me. Let's read number two together. Ready, go. The action or process of being received as adequate or suitable, typically to be admitted into a group. So a lot of us have problems with both of these, right? <laughs> a lot of us have problems accepting what's being offered, like truly accepting it and not rejecting it. But for many of us who have experienced Willy Wan's experiences in our lives, all of our lives we've had some kind of ruffle with a group, being accepted into a group. If you're here, you've been drawn here because some other group uh, you, you've had some other group not accept you. Usually that's a, a, a concurrent theme in all of our stories. When we get to the meal, we all talk about like some experience we've had and we're like, oh, me too. I'm so happy. <laughs> so, okay, so we're all clear on the, on the definition of acceptance. Good. 
You know, the concept of acceptance is derived from the Latin word acquiescere, which means to find rest in. Which was surprising to me that acceptance and rest go together. That's interesting. So then would you say acceptance equals peace? That if we can get to a place of acceptance, we can also find peace? Do you want peace today? I want peace. And I think that acceptance is um, the act of consenting to receive what's being offered, right? If we consent to receive what Jesus is offering us, I believe that we will experience and bask in peace. You know, it's interesting that the five steps of grief are, um, the first one is denial, right? When you lose someone, the first thing you do is you say, no, 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 they're not. They're not, they're not no, 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 no. This is going to be one of those medical marvels where they wake up on an autopsy table like, and it's just going to be fine, right? Or then it's uh, bargaining, right? Then you start bargaining. Um, and, and then you get angry, right? And then what's the fourth one, Marlon? Depression. Depression. You, then you, you say, okay, the person is gone. I have lost so much. And then the final stage of grief is what? Acceptance. Now that's not mine. That's this psychologist called Dr. Kruger. So the five stages of grief end in acceptance. The five stages of, of grief end at this place of peace where you finally say, this is what happened. This is, I've lost this person, but I have to accept it and I have to move forward with life. You know, there's uh, Dr. Willie Matiso who we met in um, Kenya he talks about the three stages of human relationships. The first is the angel phase, where you just love them, love them, love them, right? Then it's the devil phase, where you can't stand anything about them, and you want them to completely change. You don't remember anything you loved about them. Then you get to this human phase, where you accept their humanity, and you accept them as they are. So here we are again at this penultimate stage of like peace in relationships, and we're at this penultimate stage of peace in dealing with the, the death of a loved one, and these words, this acceptance keeps echoing. There's something to acceptance, and there's something to accepting acceptance and having the kind of peace that we want in our lives, because the kind of peace that we want in our lives will yield the kind of relationships and the kind of fruit that we want to taste in our lives. It will yield the lack of drama, but the presence of these wonderful experiences that we all fantasize about and yearn for. The first thing I want to talk about in terms of Jesus is Jesus met everybody where they were in this, in this story, John chapter 8. You know, you'd think that Jesus is on the side of the adulterous woman, right? Like he's checking the Pharisees and the religious teachers for like, Jesus met everybody where they were. This is so interesting to me that as I read commentaries um, that, that, that talked about how the Pharisees were trying to trip Jesus up and trying to see if he would say something contradictory so that they could have a case against him. And um, they brought this woman, this, this, this woman that was literally caught in the act of adultery to humiliate and then kill her. Um, Jesus was able to look through their actions to the environment to the custom, to the laws that they had been given, and to the experience that created the, the conditions that they were in, right? So he was able to look through their behavior to all of that and meet them where they were. 
That's the first thing that we need to understand about Jesus is that he's able to literally see through what we're doing or what we've done to meet us where we are. How many of us are willing in our own lives to look at our own selves and see through our mistakes to the biological, the cultural, and the environmental factors that may have influenced what we did? Or are we just looking back at our mistakes like, oh, you terrible person, look at what you did. Jesus is the master at meeting people where they are and understanding the totality of what contributed. Jesus is understanding that these Pharisees are operating within the laws that they've been given and what they've been taught. They're doing the best they can. I really don't believe that the Pharisees woke up every morning like, mm, who can we stone? Who can we kill today? Like that makes us feel good to kill people. I really don't think so. I think that the Pharisees were trying so hard to be right and to be good and to be seen as good by other people that they adhered to the law like relentlessly, not because they believed that the law itself was good, but that other people would think they were good based on how they followed the law. You know, so the law was their logo, right? The law was like an L and a V, you know what I'm saying? The law was a two C's, you know what I'm saying? The law was exactly what they were using to communicate to everybody else that they were good people. So Jesus meets us where we are. I want you to just take a minute to think about this question. I want you to just think it, about it to yourself. What cultural, biological, and environmental factors contributed to your past choices? Those choices that keep you blocking and rejecting the acceptance that is so hard to believe. Just think about it for a second. Because psychologists say that when we skip this step, because we think this is blaming everybody else and letting, letting ourselves off the hook, right? Or we think when we do this for other people, we just let them off the hook. But when we skip this step, we skip the step of the 360 degree perspective of how we became the person that we are, you see. And so when we skip this step, we immediately cast ourselves and other people into a bad category that we can never get out of, you see. But when we say, okay, well, this is what was going on around me. This is what is in my DNA in terms of perhaps some chemical imbalances or some uh, genes that are predisposed towards certain things. This is what happened to me in my childhood home or what didn't happen to me in my childhood home. These things all fed into my choices. And now that I know that, I can be better. Now that I understand that, I can move forward. But when we skip this step, we don't give ourselves a chance. So this is the other thing. Jesus, rather than condemn them, he chose to understand them. I love how Jesus keeps writing in the sand. Uh, commentary writers say that he chose to keep writing in the sand to communicate his aversion to these kinds of debates. Like Jesus like, I didn't come here for you all to bring people in front of me to give you permission to kill them for being terrible people. I came here to set everybody free. I came here because we're all in need of freedom. I, I came here because I am the way to freedom, to peace. And so as we continue to develop a deeper dialogue with Christ, I want us to understand that Jesus literally chooses to understand us rather than condemn us. As we seek and um, 
explore some of the things that we've been through and the things that we're going through and how they're connected. Like the creator of the cosmos sent his son to understand us, not to condemn us. And then lastly, he offered the woman a choice. I love how he says, okay, so does anybody condemn you? Where are your accusers? And she says, oh, well, there aren't any. And he says, neither do I. So go and do what? Sin no more. It's as simple as that. I love how he separates her decisions from who she is. She's not an adulterous woman. She's a woman whose environmental, biological, and cultural factors led her to make some desperate choices to engage with people in the wrong way at the wrong time in her life. So now that she's been received by Jesus and been understood by Jesus and been met where she is by Jesus, she has a choice. Okay, so now I can walk forward and continue to do what I'm doing, which obviously gets me in trouble, or I can be different and I can be new and I can pursue love in a different way. And we don't know who this woman is. We don't know what she did after. Some people think that this woman is Mary. Some people think that she joined Jesus's um, group of disciples and became one of his strongest supporters and one of the witnesses to the tomb being completely empty. So she became a pivotal point in biblical history. We don't know, I like to believe that. But if an adulterous woman can become Mary, then I, I mean, I just, I love that possibility. Here's the thing though, let's read this together. Ready, go. Forgiveness is the pathway to accepting acceptance. I believe this woman accepted her forgiveness. I believe that she not only accepted Jesus's forgiveness and pardoning of her sins, but I think she accepted and forgave the environment. I think she forgave her culture. I think she forgave her past. I think she forgave all the little stair step terrible things that led up to the present choice that she made. I think she said it is what it is and I'm going to make different decisions going forward. You guys, we cannot unlock acceptance and we cannot ex experience peace on a continuous level unless we are willing to receive and extend forgiveness. I talked to uh, Miguel, your sister, last week. Uh, she's been married for 15 years and she like, is still happy and still likes her husband. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm four years in, I'm a rookie in the game, how do you do it? She said, you have to continually prepare forgiveness. She was like, you have to keep forgiveness just prepared. She said, you have to prepare to receive it and to extend it. She said, as long as you keep forgiveness prepared at your table, your marriage will keep going and you will continue to have a good time with that person. I said, okay. Forgiveness is the pathway to accepting acceptance and forgiveness is the pathway to peace. And forgiveness doesn't say what happened is okay and can keep happening. Forgiveness says, I accept what happened and I'm going to learn how to make different choices in the future. If we can forgive the past, and forgive our past, we can accept the gift Jesus is offering us and sense our belonging in him, that second definition of acceptance. We can sense this belonging in him that cannot be given to us by other people and can't be taken away when we sense the resistance of other people in our lives. And this part is so key because we're gonna, we're gonna sense people rejecting us probably day in and day out for the rest of our lives. Just the way that 
God is moving our, the, his will for our lives together, some folks are going to pass us right up and we're going to be like, oh, hey, okay, no, all right, okay. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thought that was going to work out. It did not, okay. So if we can accept the gift of acceptance that Jesus is offering us, we can return to that gift when our finite little minds are looking at a situation that's not working out the way we thought it would or the way we dreamed it would. We can say, okay, that's not working out. That hurts, but I am fully accepted by Jesus and I fully belong to him. And I have eternity to look forward to. So the temporary pain of this situation has no comparison to the eternal joy that I'm gonna experience with Jesus. So let me move through it, let me accept it and move through it. Let me go do something nice or do something fun or hang out with the people or whatever. Lastly, I just love this last sentence that Jesus said. This is the message version. He said, go on your way from now on, don't sin. I was like, that sounds so like easy. Just don't sin. Okay. Okay. No, that's sin. Okay. No. That's the, like, what? <laughs> but here's how I think it works. Here's how it works. When we forgive our past and we forgive the past and we fully embrace the acceptance that we have in Jesus, we have a peace that surpasses our own understanding. And when we're moving in that peace, the gift of the Holy Spirit is discernment, and we are able to fully discern the best choices, the best relationships, the best way to love people, and we end up not being perfect, but being more involved in the things that God has willed for us and less involved from the distractions that are not. That's how that works. So it's not easy, but it is simple. And Jesus says this, like this is so interesting that the story of the adulterous woman literally comes right before the next verse, which is verse 12, when he says, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I think that's so interesting, you won't have to walk in darkness. Some of us think that we have to walk in darkness at a certain point in our lives or that we had to walk in darkness, or that we might have to walk in darkness again. But he's saying, if you really connect with me and really follow me, if you experiment with my decisions, if you experiment with my words, my tone of voice, my vocabulary, and, and use it as your own words, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life and it'll be a better life than you've ever dreamed or fantasized about. It'll be better relationships and better family uh, structures and better jobs and better ways to enjoy the, the world than you've ever dreamed about. Jesus accepted these people where they were. He chose to understand them and not condemn them and then he gave them a choice to accept acceptance. And the path to acceptance is forgiveness. Are we going to choose forgiveness and accept acceptance and experience the peace that comes?